I think it's going. Okay, everyone. Is this thing on? It is on? Do we need to talk louder? Okay, y'all let me know. Maybe we can turn the volume up on this thing. I have no idea how to do that. Even though I am, I actually have no idea what I am. Am I a millennial, a Gen Xer? Uh, I don't know how to work uh, technology at all. That's why they sent me for priesthood. Um, uh, so today is kind of part two of really essentially whatever comes to my mind. But uh, the seven sacraments is what we're going to talk about today. Sacraments in general, channels of divine grace. They're unlike the last one, or actually pretty much just like the last talk with scripture, there was a ton of different ways I can go about this uh, for the sacraments. I have an hour-long talk on each of the sacraments. Uh, and I also have another talk on the spirituality of the sacraments, how to, ma- how to incorporate the sacraments in your spiritual life. But I was trying to think about what it would be best for this type of event. And so I'm going to give overall just some very general pointers about sacraments. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of touch each one of the sacraments. I'm going to say something like that's necessary, if they're necessary or not for salvation, um, the effects that they have or the, the side effects of them, where they're found out in scripture, just and how they're performed today. Okay, so hopefully it's, it's things that you know a little bit about, but then hopefully I'm saying stuff that you didn't know. Okay, all right, well, we'll begin with a reading uh, from Exodus chapter 12. And when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this right. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this right? Why do you practice it? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he slew the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. The word of the Lord. I chose that reading because it shows even in the Old Testament that people did things, did rites, in remembrance of big events. The biggest event was the Exodus event. Okay, so in general, the sacramental economy channels of divine grace. Okay, I think the first thing to know about sacraments is that they are not human rights. They're not natural. They are supernatural. And I think this is going to be the biggest bubble that I will have to pop probably for the rest of my life, is that people think they can access God naturally, or they can access God by their own way. Right. In the Old Testament, it was very explicit. No one can see the face of God and live. In fact, the priest of the Old Covenant, of the, of the Old Testament, the Old Law, if they went into the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, the temple, without observing every single dot and tittle, they would automatically burst into flames. 
Okay? And so while this spirit is continued in the New Testament, people are not automatically burst into flames if they access God incorrectly. But in a sense, something much worse. Right? They're cut off from God, not just physically, but spiritually. And so I have this. This is kind of an outline of reality by St. Thomas Aquinas. This outline of reality incorporates what I brought up last week, this, um, that God's, we, creation is God's um, novel. Right? We are his story. And so I'm going to kind of just get away from the mic and point out exactly where we're at. Well, I don't have to get away from the mic. Um, first, you start at the top with God, right? And then from God, he pours out creation, right? So we're going from left to right. Pours out creation. And then from creation, we have man's fall. And then at the very bottom is man, right? Creation, humanity, after the fall. And now we're making our way back up to God. On our way back up to God, Christ becomes man. We can now access God through the humanity of Jesus Christ. We attach ourselves to him. And then, but he did assume into heaven. So what does that mean for us? He instituted sacraments in the Catholic Church so that his presence can still be among us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you're looking at the diagram, it's in this like, kind of right corner. The sacramental economy. An economy is an exchange of goods. right? Uh, the U.S. economy, the global economy, whatever it is, is just an exchange of one thing for the next. In the sacramental economy, God gives us his grace. Okay. And so this is how God decides to give us his grace. It's a distribution of goods. Sacraments in general. Uh, the pictures I use, some of them are a bit wild. Uh, the next one is going to be really wild. As I love artwork. Maybe one day I'll explain it to you. Uh, maybe it could be a question. Can you explain that wild picture? Uh, what is a sacrament? A sacrament has been present to the Catholic Church since the beginning of the church, which was at Pentecost. That very first outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Acts of the Apostles. Every single sacrament has been present to the church since then. You can see it in the Acts of the Apostles, but then also the early church fathers. Right. So there were writings of Christians at the same time as the Bible. But like we discussed last time, it was the, the Catholic Church and the Council of Rome that decided to choose these writings for Scripture and not those writings. Right? So the Catholic Church, in her infinite wisdom, chose St. Paul over St. Ignatius of Antioch, even though they lived during the exact same time. But we have writings from other Christians about the practice of the sacraments and how they did it, not just from Scripture. A sacramentum, sacrament means something holy. It's, it's something hidden 
right? Just like how marriage is a symbol of the mysterious bond of Christ and his church. The sacraments kind of have three movements in them. It's a sacred sign of human sanctification, right? So every sacrament makes you holy when it's received the way it's supposed to be. Sacraments make you holy. That's the first thing. They were instituted by Jesus Christ. De facto. So they are not instituted by me or from some pope in the past or some bishop or even a collection of bishops. The sacraments themselves were instituted by Jesus Christ, entrusted to the Catholic Church that calls the grace that they represent. So a sacrament is a physical sign of an invisible reality, but not like a stop sign. Right. So you, you get to a stop sign and you're supposed to what? Stop. Who's ever ran a stop? Don't don't raise your hand. <laughs> Who's ran a red light? Me. huh? <laughs> so they don't have to make you stop. Or a green light doesn't have to make you go. But sacraments actually do what the sign says it does. So they actually cause the thing that they point to. They're a, they're a sign in the true sense. They cause it. Why the sacraments? Well, this is, this is another way I could have went through my talks. It's just liturgy in general. Because a sacrament goes into the liturgy. Uh, it happens within a liturgy. It makes present the, the, the passion of Jesus. But I decided not to go that route. Um, just because I, th- I think the way I went was probably be, probably be better. And I think something important, ex opere operato versus operatis. These are words you could drop at a party, huh? impress all your friends. Uh, people will often say, uh, Father, you know, why can Father forgive sins? He's kind of a sinful person. He's a crappy human being. Huh? Or, or Father's uh, celebrating Mass. What if he's in mortal sin? Right? Oh, uh, the baptism. What about that? What if it's a, a, a person in mortal sin baptizing a baby? The sacraments depend on a few things, but one of them is not the personal holiness of the individual. Right? So when I'm on my deathbed, I want someone to call a priest. I don't care what priest. I don't care if it's the holiest priest in the world. I don't care if it's some drunk we got off of Bourbon Street and he's a priest. Huh? I want a priest in mortal sin by my bedside to forgive my sins and give me anointing of the sick. Because the sacraments do not depend upon the personal holiness of the individual. It depends on a few things, but that's not one of them. Because Christ loves his people too much for that. Okay. And why the sacraments? Because we, ha- we have a need to ritualize things. Graduation ceremonies, weddings, all these things. We're both body and soul. Something moves my soul and it causes me to do something about that. I love someone, so I get on one knee. I'm sorry, so I have to buy them flowers or write a note. Right? So because I'm body and soul... And God created us that way. He uses physical things to help our spiritual side. These are the sacraments. 
Why the seven sacraments? Uh, there are uh, the Catholic Church has never given a definitive reason for the seven sacraments. Why there are seven? Now they have given good reasons for it. Why Jesus chose seven, but never a definitive. This is why X Y Z. And so one of those reasons would be the seven sacraments. Kind of this spiritual life goes along with our physical life. Um, in our individual natural life, we are born. We grow to maturity. We need nourishment, healing in times of illness, and we need to prepare for death. In the spiritual side of things, to be born, rebirth through baptism. I mature in confirmation. I am nourished by the Eucharist, and I have spiritual healing through the sacrament of penance. And I have a spiritual preparation for death through the anointing of the sick. And yeah, I would say that was probably the biggest reason that I found with it. They, they give a few reasons, but that's the one I tend to the most. Okay, baptism. Now, we'll go, now that we kind of cover just very generally sacraments, baptism. I have Bible verses for each one on there. I will not read them, okay? One, I don't like to read to people. Um, but also on my notes, y'all, I have, I'm not joking, I have at least 30 Bible quotes, uh, just an just a abbreviated form of them, for each of the sacraments. Because the sacraments are found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all over, okay? So I just put one of them up there, but there you go. Um, and this is, yes, okay, there we go. For baptism, what is baptism? It's the sacrament by which the divine life is instilled. Baptism helps prepare us for the rest of the sacraments. I am born, and for me to enjoy life, I need to be born. For me to enjoy the spiritual life, I need to be spiritually born. And that happens in baptism. The first of the seven sacraments, and it is the doorway to the other sacraments. The effects, the necessity, and symbolism. This is kind of how I've gone about the sacraments. Right? The symbolism is actually the rite being performed. The effects, of course, what happens when you receive the sacrament, and Necessity, is it necessary? So first, with baptism. Baptism, what does it do? Well, first, it gives us justification. It removes sin. Both original, if I'm a baby, but then also if I'm older, it removes actual sin that I committed. So people that were baptized, you know, at the Easter vigil or something like that, they do not need to go to confession after that. Right? Whereas people that are received just through confirmation need to still go to confession. Baptism removes the sin. And it gives an indelible mark on the soul. It means there's a mark. And the way that I was told this, and I, and I find it helpful, is that when you're in heaven, you'll be able to see who had that indelible mark of baptism, confirmation, or priesthood. If you're in hell, you will be able to see who had baptism, confirmation, or uh, holy orders. 
because it's an indelible mark on the soul that can never be removed. So baptism, once you are baptized, you will always be an adoptive son or daughter of God. There is nothing you can do to remove that. Uh, necessary. Baptism, baptism is necessary for salvation. Okay? Baptism is necessary for salvation. There are some caveats to that. But I want, we're going to hold that line though. The caveats to that, one, by the promulgation of the gospel. Right? So whenever America was founded, the whole Catholic Church was in awe. They had no idea what to do. Because by the Catholic Church's view of things, the whole world has been discovered. But then when, uh, what, how's that little thing go? Uh, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1742, right? <laughs> there we go. Uh, y'all know it. Uh, yeah, we didn't, they didn't teach us that in seminary. Uh, well, when, the, when they discovered America, the Catholic Church was like, oh my gosh. We thought we discovered the entire world like a thousand years ago. And now we have all these Indians here. What does that mean for them? Well, one, baptism is necessary for salvation when the gospel is promulgated to that land, right? But then also, two, uh, baptism by desire or by blood. Okay, these are, so the, the, by desire, for I'm sure uh, I've ministered to many people, right? They may have uh, a, a, a young child, a baby that passed before they were born, or, bef- or the baby died before the baptism. What does that mean for that baby? Well, the parents had the full desire to baptize that baby. Okay, then. Right? The, the parents were going about, but in a miscarriage, it couldn't happen. Or baptism by blood, someone is killed for the faith. Right? There has been plenty of examples in the past and even right now in the world uh, where people are killed for being Catholic or trying to become Catholic. Okay? Now, with that, Baptism being necessary for salvation, that can throw people off a bit. Uh, The way that I explain it to people, this is the way that God revealed it on us how to attain salvation. Can God work outside of this? Yes, because he's God. I and the Catholic Church do not have the authority to say otherwise, though. Right. So, for instance, if I climb to the top of St. Pius and I walk off the, the, the bell tower, can God suspend gravity and make me walk on air? Absolutely. In fact, we have saints that levitate. Uh, but should I expect that? <laughs> Probably not. Right. So there you go. Um, the symbolism, water. Right. Uh, we use water to wash things, not coke. Right. I, I say that in my little homilet for baptisms. Why do we use water? Because we use water to wash things. I use water to wash my dishes, not Coke. Um, and so uh, we use water. And of course, plenty of scriptural references to that, though. Confirmation. Confirmation is when the Holy Spirit descends upon a person and fulfills what was promised in baptism. In the Old Testament, uh, the Father and the Son send the Spirit. This is called the spiration of the Holy Spirit. When the Father and the Son 
send the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus ascended into heaven and both the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's why Jesus ascends into heaven before Pentecost. Um, the Old Testament, uh, Jesus ascends higher than Moses to send a better law than Moses received. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. What is confirmation? First, it, it gives sanctifying grace. The different levels of grace, I won't go into that. Uh, the actual grace, the sanctifying grace, there's, there's like 20 different types of grace. Sanctifying grace is the highest one. Only the sacraments give sanctifying grace. So one, a side effect of every sacrament is sanctifying grace. The grace that saves my soul. Um, and then it, it, one, right, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the effects, necessity, and the symbolism. The effects of confirmation is an increase in sanctifying grace. It perfects the baptismal grace that I receive. Right. So baptism. Think of uh, baptism as planting a little acorn. And then my entire life is watching that acorn go into a big oak tree, the oak tree we have in our parking lot. Right? That was planted probably 100 years ago, uh, maybe by even Monsignor Mouton himself. Huh? Uh, well, the, uh, my whole life is watching that acorn grow up. Confirmation boosts that. And it equips me to be a spiritual soldier for Christ. Right? Confirmation, I'm confirmed in the faith. So people will often kind of summarize confirmation as I'm now a soldier for Christ, which we'll kind of get into. Yes, actually right now. Um, and that's one of the symbolisms for the oil that's used. Right? So in confirmation is given oil. Well, oil has a number of different things, right? So it's. First, of healing. We're talking about in the old days, right? So oil was used for healing. It was used for strengthening. Uh, soldiers were anointed with oil before going into battle. And in fact, the Old Testament, prophets were anointed with oil. And so everyone being baptized, a priest, prophet, and king, we are now perfected in that prophetic office, right? So when I'm confirmed, I can proclaim Christ more fully, the laying on of hands, this is kind of a symbol of uh, giving of authority. The necessity, it is not necessary for salvation, confirmation. But it is necessary for the church to overcome the difficulties that Christ foretold. Right. So while salvation is not necessary or while confirmation is not necessary for salvation by the particular person, it is necessary for the whole church. Right? We need strong warriors for Christ. The Eucharist. Okay. The Eucharist. The, the, the scriptural references, literally the entire Bible. Pretty much, right? Because I was explained the sacraments as like lugs on a wheel. Like lugs on my tire. Each of the sacraments is a different lug. They're, they're all necessary huh? to keep my wheel on. The Eucharist, though, is the crown jewel, right? The Eucharist is the crown jewel of all the sacraments.
And so in the Old Testament, the tree of life, the sacrifices of Abraham and Melchizedek, the manna in the desert, the showbread in the temple, the various sacrifices of the Old Covenant, and much, much more. Um, in the New Testament, literally all of John chapter 6. I think I gave probably, what, like three verses right there? Uh, I think John chapter 6 is 61 verses, all of it. And, and then, of course, throughout the, uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament. So what is the Eucharist? What is the Eucharist? The Eucharist is the sacrament where Christ is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, um, to give himself so that we may be nourished in the sacramental life, in the holy life, right? Okay. The effects, the necessity and the symbolism of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the summit of the sacramental life. It's it's the crown jewel of it all. Baptism is kind of the the doorway, right? Is the front doors to the church. The Eucharist is the tabernacle, huh? Oh, the sanctuary, right? You got the whole church, but there's the crown jewel, huh? There's that big baldacchino over over our uh, altar and over our tabernacle. The necessity... Uh, the necessity of a Christian receiving the Eucharist. It is important. It's the foundation. It is necessary. Huh? It's not necessary for salvation, but golly. The, a Christian that does, or a Catholic that doesn't receive the Eucharist is like a, a, a walking corpse. Right? It's there's nothing giving me life anymore. That's like someone who doesn't eat. What do we call that person? A zombie. It's essentially, that's what it is. Right. And, and this is tough for people because people think the sacraments are just an optional thing. Right. That God can communicate to us in other ways. But the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. Right? And so some, for someone to just so nonchalantly just say, well, I just can't receive communion, you know, or I just can't like I'll, I'll do this and I just, and not receiving communion is just not that big of a deal. I mean, I have no idea where to even begin with that one. There is no I'm going to say this and I'm pretty sure this will be a question after uh, there is no government or even ecclesiastical authority that can legitimately forbid the celebration of the Eucharist. Uh, Just like there is no governmental authority or ecclesiastical authority that can forbid a priest from absolving sins when someone is truly contrite. That person has a right to their sins being forgiven in a sacrament of confession. A person who is properly disposed to the Eucharist has a right to the Eucharist to be fed if at all possible. Or someone who's dying has a right to be anointed. Okay. Confession. Confession all over sacred scripture. It was instituted by Jesus after he died and rose from the dead and right before he ascended into heaven. The very first thing he did was he gave the apostles the ability to forgive sins. He breathed on them 
And the only two places in sacred scripture that has that, that actual ruah, right, the spirit or the, the breath of God, that, that uh, Hebrew word, is from uh, the creation of man when God breathes life into Adam. And then also when Christ breathes this ability to forgive sins into the apostles. And so even as a priest, my ability to forgive sins depends on the bishop. Today, the bishop can forbid me from forgiving sins. And there ain't nothing I can do about that. Because my ability to forgive sins comes from the bishop. In fact, whenever I go to another diocese, I have to send a letter to that bishop if I'm going to go hear confessions. I have to ask his permission that I can forgive sins. So while we have the ability to, our jurisdiction comes from the bishop. The church has the power to forgive sins. Well, Father, you know, I just kind of pray in my heart. Uh, you know, I ask God's forgiveness every night. And that is a beautiful thing. It's a practice I think everyone on earth should have. But if we're talking about a mortal sin that cuts me off from divine grace, God, God doesn't hear me at that point. Mortal means I'm dead. Mortal equals dead. Right. And so for me to kind of pray in my heart, say, Lord, please forgive me. God didn't give you the authority to forgive sins. In fact, I can't do that for myself. I have to go to confession. Right. So for me to pray to God to forgive my mortal sins, I don't have the ability to do that. And a good that is a good way. One that I'll never get over my sin. I just keep praying in my heart. God, help me to overcome this. I, I, I won't. Because right? no one's checking on me. Father's going to check on me when I go to confession. Hey, how you doing with that? You doing anything new to overcome that? Hey, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Huh? Um, but then also, I don't know if God forgives me. That's a real thing. right? God does give us forgiveness when we seek it. But I think people just kind of misuse that understanding of it. right? That I, that's like me... Uh, crashing into someone's car and then me just peacing out and I said, oh, they forgave me. Uh, (laughs) Well, no. Would they forgive me if I go seek their forgiveness? Yeah. Right. Probably because I'm wearing my collar. (laughs) But I mean, I still got to go ask their forgiveness. Huh? I got to I have to physically go and tangibly go do that. The effects of, bap- of a confession, it reunites me back with God. The necessity, it is necessary for salvation if someone commits a mortal sin after baptism. Right? So if someone commits a mortal sin, it is necessary for salvation that they go to confession. Okay, now we'll talk about the different caveats to that. The church has as a precept... One of the precepts of the church is that every single Catholic go to confession at the very least once a year. If not, that's a mortal sin. Why do they do that? Well, let me give an example. Let's say you got your, your family. Huh? Mama wants to take a picture with the whole family. Um, it aggravates all the kids, but it's important to mama. And so mama, she's going to get all the kids. They're going to take a shower. They're going to get a haircut. They're going to wear their Easter uniform or whatever it is. Huh? Everyone's going to be smiling. There's no crying. And I don't want no backlit. We're going to do all these things huh? because we're going to have a picture to hang up in the house. 
Um, and give, give to people. I've heard this once or twice. Huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to have a picture. This is, my, this is Mama Church saying, I want all my kids to look good for the resurrection of Jesus. It's called the Easter obligation. That oh, you go to confession at the very least once a year and around, preferably around Easter. Because right? Holy Mother Church, Mama Church, wants all of her kids to look real nice when Jesus rises fr- from the dead. Being serious, I mean, that's how I think about it. Um, okay. The pre, and this is, this is something I'm going to, we'll see how much I go into. The different levels of the priest for uh, the sacramental seal, I, I won't go too deep into it uh, because we're pressed for time. If you want more questions, you can ask a question about it. Uh, there's three levels, essentially. Different theologians pose different levels, but I found this three to be the best. Uh, in regards to the priest side of things. On the priest side of things, in regards to hearing confessions, we always hear, oh, the priest can't say nothing because he's in confession. And that's actually very true. Uh, The priest actually doesn't even have the right to treat someone differently once they come to confession. Right. So I'm just going to give an example. I don't see... (laughs) She'll forgive me. Uh, one, you know, uh, let's say I, I'm using this as an example, okay? Uh, let's say I have a church um, treasury, huh? like, uh, you know, my, uh, my bookkeeper. She comes to confession with me, the pastor, and she says, Father, I've been robbing y'all blind for years, huh? <laughs> Ball. <laughs> said, man, y'all are dumb as a bag of hammers. I got, I got half a meal from y'all. Peace. And then she just leaves. <laughs> What can I do about that? You got it. What about this? What if I say, like, I get out of confession, I finish celebrating Mass, I kind of stretch, I'm like, oh, you know, I got a little bit of energy, maybe I just go check on the books. <laughs> you know, that's how I, maybe I'll go look through the books, you know, I haven't done that, blow them off, huh? just, I, I'm blowing <laughs> blow them off, I haven't checked them in a while. Uh, can I do that? You got it. I can't act different. Right, so people often say, Father, what would you do if you heard uh, someone murdered someone? Huh? Or they did this, or they did that. Or what if they did that? Right? Or maybe adultery, huh? Or what, what, what would you do about that? Exactly. That, and so people get build up this mountain in their head about what a priest may or may not do. That's Satan. I don't know how else to say it. If a priest breaks the seal of confession, it's automatic excommunication. This is the strictest penalty the church has. The strictest. That means if the priest does not truly seek the... He has to go to Rome first, to the Holy Father, the Apostolic Penitentiary, and seek forgiveness from him. And if he does get it, he has to do his penance. But effectively, if he does not repent... He cannot celebrate any sacraments. He's no longer a priest. And if he dies... De facto, he goes to hell. This is the strictest penalty the church has. That's if a priest breaks the seal of confession. And he can't even say if he has heard someone's confession or not. Or like, if he hasn't. Father, you remember the other day, uh, you know, this person, he went in the, uh, in the box with you, huh? In confession. Um, no, no idea. This, I have amnesia. And it's true. That's essentially, in a nutshell, what it is. There's more details about that, but uh, for the sake of time. huh? Anointing of the sick. 
Anointing of the sick. I could I could read this verse verbatim because we do like I do like five anointings a week at someone's bedside, huh? Uh, is any among you sick? Let him call for the priest of the church and let the priest pray over them, anointing them with the oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick persons. The Lord will raise them up. If he has committed any sins, the sins will be forgiven them. Uh, let us pray. Okay, well, that's, that, that's where it cuts off right there. Uh, and so the, the anointing of the sick, it's, it's part of that process of not necessarily dying, but in danger of death, right? So I've been anointed before. Right? I'm still walking and talking. So you shouldn't wait to the last minute to call to, for the priest. Spread the word, people. Because people often call at the very last moment. Father, they're going to die within the hour. Father, they're going to die within the day. I mean, I'm going to go. But maybe I won't make it. Or maybe I just don't pick up my phone. Maybe it's like not with me. You don't have to wait to the very moment of death to call the priest to get anointing of the sick. I have people on rotation that I anoint every three months for like over a year now because they've just been in that stage. And anointing of the sick, it does forgive sin. So we talked about confession being necessary for salvation. Well, let's say I go anoint someone and they can't talk anymore due to whatever reason. Well, anointing of the sick does forgive sins. It's not necessary per se, but look, Satan doesn't stop chomping on our heels until we're totally with God. And so very often people are surprised our elderly or those about to die. Satan does tempt them a lot. Our nursing homes. I can't tell you how many times people, they go to the nursing home uh, and they've abandoned the faith due to whatever reason. Uh, It's because Satan will attack. At that moment, because he still has a chance. Huh? And so it's, nece- it's not necessary per se, but it strengthens and it gives people hope. I can't tell you how many times I went to anoint people. They've been away from the church for 70 years. And they're fully reconciled back with God at the very moment. And they're getting to heaven. I'll tell you that because the sacraments work despite my holiness. Right. And so I, it happened. I see miracles literally almost every probably well, definitely every week, but probably every other day in regards to this. People being reconciled totally back to God on their deathbed. The symbolism oil, right, um, represents the grace of the Holy Spirit. Many cultures use it for uh, healing uh, bruises and wounds and stuff like that. Holy orders. Look at me, huh? Back when I had all a young gunner, huh? Now I have all these miles on me. Uh, when I had the the twinkle of uh, new hope and uh, all that jazz. Now now I'm just an old decrepit man. Uh, uh, there we go, huh? Uh, okay, so holy orders. It's how Christ continues the church. Right, there's different levels of holy orders, right? Deacons, priests, and bishops. Bishops have the totality of holy orders. Priests do not. I cannot ordain another priest. Only a bishop can do that. 
A deacon cannot confer the Eucharist or forgive sins or do the anointing of the sick. Only a priest can do that. Right? So there's different, uh, different orders, there's different levels of what you can access, but the bishop has the full totality of orders. Right? Even the Holy Father, the Pope, he is just the Bishop of Rome. That's what he is. He's just a bishop. So once you're a bishop, there's no new consecration. The effects, of course, it confers grace, sanctifying grace, and imprints another indelible mark on the soul. And it, it confers a, a spiritual power with on, on that person, right, to do the sacraments. Um, the laying on of hands is the natural sign of transmission of leadership, right? This is within uh, Scripture as well, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, they laid hands on them for the priest, not the prophet, but the priest. They laid hands on them. And then, of course, in Acts of the Apostles, when they were calling forward, let me see, did I have it? Yep. Uh, that was my scripture quote that I uh, used. In the Acts of the Apostles, whenever they were choosing another successor, they prayed and then they all conferred hands on that individual and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And they were able, and it continues, right, and the saying they were able to go and preach the gospel with authority. Okay, marriage. Marriage is actually something very natural. Christ raised this to a sacrament. Marriage was founded in Genesis. That's why I use that quote. Right? And it's throughout all of Scripture. In fact, marriage is the ultimate sign of God and His creation, of Christ and His church. What is marriage? Well, one, we're naturally inclined to marriage. It's a covenant between a man and a woman, ordered by its nature to the good of the spouses. Right? So people get married so that they can help each other get to heaven. Don't ever forget that. Often I have to pop the bubble of young people because they want to get married for this or that reason, and like reality is going to hit them, and they won't be together in like two years. Huh? You have to be in it for the right reasons. I'm getting married to this person because they help make me holy. Now, that, that's the primary reason. Is that I think we're going to get each other to heaven. It's also about the procreation and the education of offspring. And so, people, in a non-joking way, in a very serious way, before a couple gets married, they have to find each other attractive physically. Like, they have to. That's, that's part of it, right? Because it's not only about getting married to someone that helps you get to heaven, but it's also about the procreation of children to continue the human race. The effects of marriage. Hair loss, uh, aggravation, uh, <laughs> loss of temper, loss of money, uh, uh, and... Uh, Aggravation. <laughs> That's all nonsense, huh? That's, uh, no, ma marriage is a beautiful thing, right? I think uh, Satan attacks, that's what Fatima said, that uh, Satan attacks marriage the most. 
And in fact, the final battle over humanity will be over marriage. That was from Our Lady of Fatima. Because marriage is the primary way to holiness. It, it's not the priesthood. There's only very, there's very few priests, very few bishops, very few popes. The primary way to holiness, sanctity, and to living a holy life is by marriage. There are higher levels to it, huh? So the priest, priesthood is a higher level of holiness than marriage. The bishop is a higher level than the priest. That doesn't mean by necessity, though, that a priest is holier than a married couple. It just means that God gives more grace because they have a bigger, they have a bigger pen to take care of. Huh? The, the father is the priest of his own little house. It's just that my house is a little bit bigger. So the actual effects of marriage, of course, it, it confers sanctifying grace um, so that they can live a lifelong partnership together. The ends of marriage. I kind of I have three there is that one, the procreation and education of offspring. The second is that on a very natural level, people form communities and they seek the good. And so the, the family is that little small community where they seek the good together. And then lastly, it, it regulates intimacy, right? Both emotionally, but then also physically. Married couples have a right to each other sexually, the sexual act. Couples should not ever dangle sex like a carrot in front of each other and like, or withhold it as a punishment. That's not a thing. That's not why God created it. It is a beautiful thing. Help. Now, look, all things being equal, huh? it has to be mutually respectful, life giving. Right. All you can't be. You know about it more than me. Huh? Uh, and so all things being equal in regards to that. The, the wife has a right to the man. And the man has a right to the wife. Because they agreed to help each other in that regard. The sexual appetite is a good thing created by God, used in the right context. And so when couples remove that right context for whatever reason, it better be a good one. Right. Like uh, I won't list the different ways, but I often have to counsel people in regards to this. What are the right times to abstain versus not? Okay. The last Fostering a sacramental spirituality. This is just one little point I'll make. We need to rediscover the mystery, the love of the sacraments. We should never lose wonder over the sacraments. The sacraments were instituted by Jesus, developed over 2,000 years, and are the channels of divine grace. How God communicates to humanity. They are veiled. They are humble realities, right? Oil, bread, wine, the laying on of hands. But we're both body and soul. God uses creation for salvation. He instituted the sacraments for that very reason. That's all I got. Thank <laughs> you.
Okay, everyone, look, I know that was a lot. Huh? Uh, I wanted to cover the seven, I wanted to touch each one, right? Um, again, like the sacraments, they're, they're heavy topics, right? Because they've been developed for 2,000 years, right? And so what to include, what not to include, I just decided to include, I think, pertinent questions that people have. Why are they performed that way? So why use oil in confirmation, huh? Or why, use, why lay on hands for priesthood or something like that? Um, is it necessary for salvation? And then what are the effects of it? Why do we do it? What does it do, what does it do to the person? And so that's generally how I decided to go about it. Are there any questions? Again, like before, I'll try to answer your question to the best of my ability. But if I don't know, I'll say I won't know. And I'll just answer that one question and then we'll move to the next if there's more. Yes, sir. Yes. So the, the condition for it, it needs to be in danger of death, right? Uh, and, and the conditions for that, right, in danger of death, Father Brady, uh, Father Brady's a canon lawyer. We have theologians on hand, right? And there's different rhymes or reasons. We say, like, uh, if someone's in danger of death, like a, a complicated surgery, right, or they're going in, they have advanced uh, cancer and they're going into for chemo, or they're put under, right, essentially, or, you know, advanced age, a number of reasons, in danger of death. So I had a procedure done, and I was put under, right? To the best of my ability, I didn't have, I wasn't expected to die, you know? Uh, but I was put under, and the doctors, they, make, they do say, like, okay, look, uh, there is a chance of death. Okay, well, then we get anointed, right? Now, the, the frequency of it, it shouldn't be infrequent, or it shouldn't be frequent. So my general rule of thumb, if three months pass, and they're in the same condition, then I'll go anoint. Why three months? I like the number three. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, a significant amount of time has passed. Uh, if the person gets worse, then you can anoint them again. Or if they get better and a new sickness comes, then you can anoint them again. But people will often say, Father, can you come anoint? I say, okay, well, has the priest gone out there yet? Yeah, yeah, no, he came uh, like two weeks ago or like last week. I said, has it gotten worse? No, he's staying the same. Okay, well then, no, you don't need to, you don't need, I don't need to come, right? The, the sacrament still holds up, okay? Yes. Is it also for emotional healing? I have, I heard mm-hmm. yeah, so I've had, I've, yeah, uh, so are there people that are emotionally going through a lot where, let's say, uh, end of life is uh, possible, right? So that someone's struggling with, let's say, suicide. Uh, anointing of the sick. I know priests and I know theologians that will hold you should anoint in that case. Right? For me personally, I have in the past. Now, um, I don't, I'm not aware of a strain of theology that says you shouldn't. But I'm, I am open to it. Right? Uh, but in my, in my own ministry, when I'm dealing with someone that, that struggles heavily, uh, then yes. Yes, sir. So at first, so this is going to be me in all humility admitting this, huh? At first, I didn't think you could. 
Father Brady informed me that you could, and I have yet to still look into it. Right. And so on that regard, I just simply don't know. Right. At first, I thought like, okay, if someone's a baptized Catholic. Right. But if you're baptized, then you're still within the graces of the church, even if you're Protestant or whatever. Um, And so at first I I thought, no, but. Father Brady informed me that you can. Now, in regards to my own personal looking into the situation, I haven't done that yet. So women holy orders, there are none. Well, can you can, can you explain? Okay, let me repeat the question. Uh, holy orders are necessary for continuing the church of deacon, priest, and bishop. Uh, and so women holy orders. Can you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So our religious sisters are not. Those are not holy orders. Those are still vocations of life, right? Just like marriage. But it's it, it's not part of holy orders. Yes. Would that forget, where would that fit into the seven sacraments? I don't think it would, right? Uh, but they are still necessary part of the church, right? And the same, in the sense, I remember hearing a talk, uh, and the priest, I can't, I can't recount what he said, but he talked about kind of like the natural order of, of nature, of like, let's say this animal species goes out, then this whole land gets wiped out. Because this land is, because they depend on it. It's the same thing with religious sisters, right? So, for instance, religious sisters have largely gone. Now, what's the case with that? Now we have to have lay people take, essentially, uh, teaching uh, for Catholic schools. And the Catholic schools are trying to catch up. And so Catholic schools can't really pay our lay people the, the, the wage that they should be in a lot of cases, because religious nuns dedicated their life to it for free, right? In the same way for priesthood, right? Kind of, I forsake really a, a living wage in a, in a lot of cases, right? But in, in regards for religious nuns, they did the same thing for it. But in regards to holy orders, nuns are not uh, anointed, laying on of hands or anything like that. In the same way that religious brothers are not either. So, but it's still a vocation, a religious vocation. Yes, sir. You say they are more than uh, the sick, that their uh, sins are forgiven. Yes. The natural means are through confession. So if someone is still able to talk, then you will hear their, or the priest will hear their confession beforehand. Anointing of the sick does not replace confession if they're able to talk or have a lucid memory. Right? So often you, you go in and, you know, Alzheimer's, Dementia, they can't legitimately speak or it makes sense. Okay. Yes, Sophie. Oh, sorry. I'm to you next. So her question was in regards to um, a religious sister being professed. There is a, a part of it where she puts her hands inside the, the abbots, 
the abbotus, uh hands, right? That goes to uh, obedience, right? So for the priesthood, I put my hands inside the hands of the bishop, and I pledge my obedience to the bishop, right? And the same case for religious brothers. At the Benedictine monastery that I attended for seminary, I saw it multiple times, saw it multiple times with a different religious communities. They put the hands inside the hands of whoever's in charge, right? The abbot, the abbotus, the head monk, the, uh, and they pledge obedience to them. Someone has to be the leader with that. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So her question was in regards to the sacrament of confirmation. Uh, as of right now, this is hot off the press, people. Actually, I, they, I'm pretty sure. I, I guess this is public knowledge. They sent it to us. There's someone. It's on Facebook. Okay, I'm not. I don't want to. Br- <laughs> so like, <laughs> okay. Uh, like, when I tell you, like, we get emails, and, like, I don't say nothing, right? Because I never know if it's public knowledge or not. So I play dumb a lot. It's a video now. Okay, well, if it's on YouTube. Okay. Uh, so the bishop is moving the age of confirmation from 11th grade to 8th grade, right? The bishop has full authority to do that for the right reasons, because the bishop is what I'm going to say in a nutshell, the head honcho. There is no Catholic area without a bishop, right? The Catholic Church does not operate without a bishop in an area. And so the bishop has full authority in regards to that. And our bishop, Bishop Desitel, has looked at the state of our church and our local area. Kids are leaving high school, are leaving, you know, the church in high school, and they're committing sins in high school that shouldn't even be on their radar. Huh? Uh, what kids struggle with nowadays is different from ages past. Temptations are way worse. And so they need the strength to do that, to fight that. And the, what's the sacrament that makes you a spiritual warrior for Christ? Confirmation. Confirmation gives you the sanctifying grace, the perfection of baptism, and the strength to fight against evil in a more severe way. And so they moved it to eighth grade. There's a process that will go about that, but essentially that's the reason why. Yes, ma'am. Last question. Oh, I'm sorry. You could stay after, but well, actually, let's end it right now. It's um, 6.58. Uh, I'm more than welcome to stay behind and, and answer any questions. Uh, but let's, let's end with that. Huh? I wanted to give an hour talk, an hour or less talk on the sacraments. Um, I'm actually pretty happy that they had so many questions. At first, I was kind of worried that they wouldn't have questions. Uh, But next week, we'll be on Catholic morality, which I think will be a hot-button issue. Uh, It's it's a hot-button issue in the world today. Uh, And then the final one, our spiritual talk on uh, the seven sorrows of Mary. I think I might move that one inside the church, I think, uh, because... I'm pretty sure we'll have a bigger crowd for that one. And it's a, it'll be a spiritual one in nature. And so I think the church will have a good feel for that. Okay? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. Hey, Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thank you.